Welcome to The Long Box of Darkness, a podcast exploring horror in comic book form. I'm Herman Lowe. And I'm Misty Graves. Join us for a look inside The Long Box of Darkness. Welcome back, constant listeners. It's that time again, time for the long box of darkness to arrest your ears and hopefully scare you witless. This is Herman Lowe, back for another episode with my ever-present creepy co-host, Misty Graves. Misty, how have you been? (laughs) Really good, or sort of. I don't know. I never know how to answer that question these days. I would say I'm still here. And um, every day is a gift. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I was expecting something a little more, more nihilistic from you, but uh, hey, it's very upbeat for you. <laughs> awesome. No, I'm, I'm the same. I refuse to complain. I mean, every day is just dragging along. You know, at least we've got horror, we've got comics to keep us company and to make the days worthwhile. So I don't know yeah. how you feel about that, but I just want to get home every day from work and read a comic. Yeah, um, I want to get home. Well, I get home from work and I want to lay on the couch and definitely read a comic. Yes, I've been I've been like. Uh, what have I been up to? You've been doing I lots like of I've stuff. Been... I mean, just following your Twitter feed, you've been up to tons. I've been up to reading Twitter a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're both on Twitter, well, 24-7, basically. I've got my yes. notifications turned on, ding, every now and then when there's someone that I like, you know, sending something, I'm always, like, trying to reply. Sometimes it's inane and I have to delete my comment, but whatever. <laughs> Twitter's fun. You know, I... Yeah. You know, I think, like, I've been wanting to read horror comics, but feeling, like, so distracted by the news and by everything that's happening that I feel almost guilty for taking time away from paying attention to current events to, like, spend time uh, doing something I enjoy. So when I got to sit down with these comics, it was really nice to get back to something that I really enjoy and it's like the simple pleasures of life Mm. yeah that's right I mean robots robots and ghosts (laughs) and uh, Nazis getting chomped on by vampires (laughs) yeah I guess it's not really too far off from real life (laughs) no No, I mean at least the Nazi part isn't (laughs) right yes and vampires depending on how you define that term exactly they're back and (laughs) the nazis are the vampires this time around i mean you and i normally we try to pick comics where the nazis you know get their comeuppance but you know these days it looks like the nazis are wow they're the ones with all the supernatural power on their side at least for a while but yeah uh, mm, yeah we're really up a tree where we're like uh the protagonist in the story um at the the third act where they're just really, really up a tree oh. and you're like, Oh, they're, they're not going to get out of this one. 
Yeah. There's there's no way they're gonna get out of this one. That's kind of the that yeah. what I'm the at general atmosphere of things right now. That's right. If we want to swing that back to uh, you know a war metaphor or a war reference, because after all, listeners, you've probably seen the title of the this episode. We're going to be talking about some uh, the horrors of war, at least. If you want to swing that back mm-hmm. to to something war related, this is the the situation we're in at present. This is Dunkirk. We have we haven't gotten to you know a retaliation for yet. We haven't gotten to the storming the beaches of Normandy. We're we're still very much on the defensive here, and we've been chased to the beaches of Dunkirk. Now we're waiting awaiting extraction. <laughs> now, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's the worst part is the waiting. It's it's so long. It's not like a sudden thing that you can see and feel. It's like um, mm. it is like being a frog in a pot of water that is slowly boiling, and you know it's boiling, <laughs> but you don't really see or feel it. Yeah, yeah. I long for uh, actual. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I long for. Yeah, we'll an s- end to war. <laughs> an end to something, at least to the to the pandemic, hopefully. But you know, yeah. and also an end to general human stupidity. But um, yeah, yeah, we can only hope. And I think that's what that's what death wants, um, or at least the char- the host of this horror comic. It seems that you know death does want to collect his souls, oh, or their souls. Death wants to collect their souls, but also it, there's they send out conflicting messages too. It's like. Um, <laughs> The host sometimes says that it would be nice if humans didn't have so much war. You know, it kind of like hints at like, boy, I do love taking souls, but these silly humans just can't figure it out. So what am I going to do? I just got to take got to take their souls. That's what I do. Exactly. It seems that almost like he's a fan of more, you know, like personal, you know, uh, engagements in war you know man to man you know uh, mm-hmm. soldiers bayonetting each other and then there's this part where he say, where he sort of laments the fact that now we've transcended to the to the level of just having nuclear weapons and being able to wipe out humanity with one fell stroke taking away all of his fun <laughs> so he's kind of like yeah. A, yeah he's like a spectator at a boxing match who's paid a lot of dough to be there and then you know, in the first round, a guy gets KO'd and, oh, it's over. <laughs> he doesn't want that. He wants yeah. the suffering. He wants the, you know, the, the horrific the um, battles, battles yeah, to be dragged the out. The hand-to-hand yeah. combat. He wants cavemen fighting each other with long <laughs> sticks and clubs. Exactly. Dinosaurs in the background. <laughs> yeah, he's a classicist. He loves, he loves you know, he's, he's, he's someone who's... Um, he doesn't like change. <laughs> Let's just say he's more, he's kind of like my, my mom and dad, basically. He's like, why are you yeah. going to do this podcasting thing? Why don't you just do a good old fashioned radio show? Uh, yeah. This, this is better than radio. <laughs> they, they haven't wrapped their head around this podcasting thing. But, you know, why did I mention that? Because my dad's going to be listening to the show, Misty. He's a massive fan of war. I, I'm not saying he, <laughs> he likes people dying. <laughs> But you know, he, he's a war sure, movie. Yeah. yeah, he's a war movie buff. He he's he used to be you know other than you know being an art teacher, he used to be you know uh, well he was forced into being a a history teacher for a while there, and that you know made him love you know um, World War One and World War Two history. So he's the first one who introduced me to you know 
war as what what would you call it uh genre <laughs> which is sure it's, it's bad that it is a genre but you know we used to watch war movies together and stuff and most recently when i was in australia visiting him we went to watch two war movies we went to watch midway and we went uh, to see 1917 the the two recent more movies that were released and it was kind of a blast seeing that with my dad you know okay so he's going to be listening yeah. i hope we, okay the facts we drop are accurate <laughs> because he he, uh -oh. he brooks no mistakes when it comes to the history of war but i've i've got a couple of uh, notes here so don't worry dad we're we're fine <laughs> hi herman's dad oh damn yeah you can call him harry <laughs> hi harry <laughs> anyway yeah i'm a That makes me nervous because I'm definitely a novice when it comes to the war genre. Um, I loved these weird war comics when I first came across them because of their weirdness and mm. because of the skeletons, you know, not so much the war. I was like, what is this crazy, these crazy covers that I'm seeing with like Nazi gorillas and skeletons. And uh, so that's what attracted me to them. But as I was reading the stories... There are some, there's a lot of action and more. It's undeniable. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of plot. There's a lot of uh, twists and turns. And when you add a dash of the supernatural, that makes it even more interesting. Yeah, more appealing to people of our sensibilities. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. um, that's what I wanted to ask you next, Missy. Like, how did you, what was your first like encounter with the the title weird war tales was it recently or way back when when you started collecting did you already see them in the back issue bins and yeah speak on that how did you get to know this title um it was one of the first comics that i started collecting because i saw a cover that i couldn't take my eyes off of <laughs> I, I a cover that just it made me laugh so much it was Uh, primate platoon issue. <laughs> I, I made a tweet about it. I don't remember the name, the number of the issue, but essentially the cover has gorillas in Nazi uniforms, just yeah. like going going ape. <laughs> and um, it just made me laugh when I saw it. I'm like, what could possibly be going on here? Yeah. So I was my curiosity was intrigued. I bought that one, and I bought another one that was, the cover was an image of a soldier who's really, really scared, and he was, a Nazi that was really scared, and he was surrounded by skeletons, and so I just was like, ooh, Nazis being scared by skeletons, I'm into this, you know, like, nice. anything, uh, any story I can read where, like, Nazis get terrorized i'm pretty much a fan of that, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that, so yeah, this I mean, is actually a little bit cathartic to read. Yeah, especially these issues, I gotta say. <laughs> exactly. This is why we're doing this, because I, I think you suggested it, you know, way back when on Twitter, mm -hmm. when we were talking about, we were posting covers back and forth, you and I, and mm -hmm. the covers seemed to be, you know, weird war, because we were at the time, we were hating on the fascists. We're still hating on the fascists, but, you know, mm -hmm. you know we're not posting any more weird war covers. I think we've exhausted them. But, I mean, it only <laughs> posted, ran, like 50. Yeah, it only ran for 124 issues, Weird War Tales, you know, so um, <laughs> there's just so much covers that you could post. I mean, it's no House of Mystery or, you know, any of those long running horror titles, but it ran for about a decade, you know, so it's it's a pretty, yeah. it's very successful. But um, yeah. I think the Primate Platoon cover you posted, 
I mean, that, 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 that was news to me. I didn't know that that was one of your first issues. Um, mm -hmm. That was one of the very first ones I read too, but that wasn't one. Oh of the, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I think it's issue 89. I'm not sure, but it's definitely just before they introduced the creature commandos, um, which was sort of when I fanatically started reading Weird War Tales because I love the creature commandos. And then, you know, eventually I started picking up some back issues. But this was way back when, I think it was probably 1980, 1981. I was still like five or six years old when I started, mm -hmm. you know, reading it because I had a, a huge batch of it already in this box that my uncle had gifted me. So, you know... Um, but the creature commandos, they only showed up roughly about in, you know, the 1980, 1981. But this was one of the, the first issues I did have. And, um, you know, I remember it. It's just a crazy tale. We got to do that down the line, right, Misty? This, this yeah. issue, the primate platoon. And I think it's 88 or 89. I'm not sure. Sorry about that, listeners. We'll, we'll, I'll probably edit in the right number later on. <laughs> yeah, just edit it in. What an amazing issue. So, yeah. Um, I think uh, one of the very first hard titles we read then. I wonder if that was a lot of other people's very first issue, just because it, just the cover is so intriguing yeah. that more people saw that and were just needing to know what was in those pages. <laughs> what was happening, yeah. What is going on here? <laughs> now, listeners, we I did cover Weird War Tales uh, way back when on an earlier episode. And if you want, you can listen to that because in the beginning, during the introduction, I did mention a lot about the history of the title. Um, now, I don't know if you if you know anything about how Weird War came to be, Misty, but I can quickly give a recap if that's okay with you. Yes, please do. And I hope the listeners don't, you know, feel like I'm, you know, wasting their time too much. But I think this, this I'll, I'll put some new information in, you know, stuff that I skipped over last time. Basically, well, maybe, it, maybe we've got some new listeners and they don't know yet. Yeah, and they don't they didn't listen from the beginning. They they they're too lazy to go back to <laughs> listen to those. <laughs> well, now they're not our listeners anymore. Oh, because oh, so you call sensitive. them lazy. Poor babies. Be nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit it out. <laughs> maybe I won't. Who knows? Anyway, no, our listeners are gold. So, you know, we love you listeners. We love you so much. I mean, you you guys, you're 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 basically paying our way for us with with non-existent money. Just 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 listening is like getting cash. Yeah. <laughs> just getting those the, yep. you know, just seeing the stats on Podbean like, oh, we've got another download. Oh, another download. <laughs> uh no, I'm not yeah. that obsessive, but you know, sometimes. So, you know, basically, Weird War Tales DC uh, since this title was published in 1971 for the first time, DC was no stranger to Weird War um, up until that point, Misty, because in fact, in the 60s, they did publish other war titles that every now and then snuck in a story that's not your usual warfare. You know, so they had uh, titles like Our Army at War, and they had uh, Star Spangled War stories. And in those titles, sometimes you would get a tale of, you know, soldiers uh, on an island fighting dinosaurs, you know, like the war that time forgot. Or mm -hmm. you'd have a story where they introduce the GI robot, which was not, in fact, in Weird War Tales. It happened in Star Spangled War Stories. So, you know, they every now and then, I think the writers maybe got bored or, or, or whatever, or they wanted to see if they could boost the listenership a little. So they you know, decided to put in some really wacky stories into these, these war comics. 
And I think the unknown soldier as well. This this guy who looks like a mummy. He's wrapped in bandages. Master of disguise. He's kind of like a dark man. You know, well, dark man's an analog of him. I I should say, Sam Raimi's dark man movie. Um, this guy, you know, showed up too, and he became so popular that you know, and his stories were all offbeat. They weren't regular war stories. I mean, this guy was definitely something else. He was a horror kind of uh, character, but but more mystery, more intrigue. He became so popular that they actually changed Star Spangled War Stories to The Unknown Soldier. It became his title. So there was definitely a market for these offbeat war stories. And then in 1971, I think it was Joe Kubert. Um, he uh, was the editor and they suggested the idea for Weird War Tales. And the reason they called it weird was um, directly based off of the fact that weird was a substitute for the word horror at that time, you know, and... Um, oh, that, could you not use horror? No, you, you could still was use... Was that one that was banned? Yeah, you could still use horror because it, the restrictions were easing off in the early 70s. But um, I think this was also a homage to the EC Comics' weird fantasy and weird science comics. Mm. And some people even, they've even suggested that Joe Kubert was given the idea for the title Weird War Tales from, you know, some of the old EC guys. I mean, they had Joe Orlando at the time being an editor at DC. You know, um, Archie Goodwin was around. He was at Marvel at the time, but, you know, they were all having lunch together at delis. And um, some of those old EC guys, possibly even Bill Gaines, because he was still around at the time. And, and some have even speculated that he frequented the DC offices. You know, um, Bill Gaines, the, you know, the publisher of EC Comics. Um, so, you know, they were all friends. And um, somehow that, you know, percolated and the title Weird War Tales came to be. So we don't really know who exactly came up with the title, but Joe Kubert was definitely the editor at the very beginning. He's a, probably the most famous war comics artist of all time. Uh, I mean, I have a, yeah. I have a quote from Joe Orlando about how Weird War came to be the title of the series. Okay, give it to us. He says, Carmine Infantino and I found out that the word weird sold well. <laughs> so DC created Weird War and Weird Western. <laughs> I'm sure it was a combination of factors, but also it doesn't hurt that the titles that have weird in them sell, sell tended to sell better, sell sell well. Those guys were definitely looking at stats, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right. That might might have been it. Yeah, I mean Joe Kubert, you know, since he edited the first, I think, seven issues of Weird War, he's he focused mostly on reprints, you know, of old war stories. But he did do the odd four-page tale, you know, of 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 weirdness that he put in there, penciled by himself and written by himself. So you know, and then eventually when he got too busy, I think it was because, you know, DC acquired the rights to Tarzan and Joe Kubert's a huge Tarzan fan. So he started editing and, and penciling and writing the Tarzan comics at the time. He had to hand it over, you know, the editorship of Weird War. And then, you know, once he did that, I think Joe Orlando came aboard, the self-same Joe Orlando you just mentioned. And then mm -hmm. the anthology really started to take off because new stories were introduced. Joe even went to the Philippines to 
to get some Philippine talent, right, Misty? And we, we all know how great those early 1970s Filipino artists were. We're talking about guys like, you know, Jerry Talak and, um, you know, <clears throat> people like Alex Nino and, of course, Tony DeZuniga, who was probably the first Filipino artist to pencil Weird War Story. And um, after that, it was sort of what they called the Filipino invasion, where a lo lots of famous Filipino artists came over from you know from Asia to work in a, in the American comics industry and we're right so, on we're so lucky we had that because these guys are great ER Cruz you know um and uh some of my favorite pencilers from the early 70s and they went to Marvel as well obviously Marvel poached some of them right mm -hmm. uh, but I think mm -hmm. they were more freelance you know they they didn't have exclusive contracts you know they all did a work for hire kind of they worked on a work for hire basis so we got a lot of great art and most of it in Weird War actually. And uh, I love the art in Weird War. It's so it's so classic. It's just like amazing. the classic horror comic style. It's so good. Yeah, no no, I agree. I mean some of my favorite art. What is it about I mean, these guys could all illustrate, you know, uh, war weaponry and, um, you know, tanks and all of that. But, you know, the horror elements to me is even more pronounced because of that, because you have these artists who have to focus on lots of detail a lot of accuracy but then they they sort of translate that into whatever horror they have to illustrate as well you know they don't skimp on the horror at all in fact they they sort of revel in it even more than in illustrating these you know highly detailed machinery and um so you know we're lucky to have this title because it sort of marries two genres you have a lot of science fiction mm -hmm. in there as well, so it could be considered three genres, right? And in fact, fantasy yeah. shows up too. Sometimes there's a fantasy element, but you know, most and romance oh. a little bit. There's this, there's like a one story in a comic we're covering today that gets a little romantic. That's right. Before it sort of <laughs> completely destroys the romantic <laughs> element, but yeah, you're right. It does. That's like a, quite a few of the stories we have actually they get romantic before turn taking a turn hey that's true i mean um you gotta gotta sort of uh, please everybody right so uh, i think uh, and putting a bit of romance in makes it more bittersweet when the ending comes which is always this oh henry type uh you know oh i didn't see this coming twist ending so yeah i, I love it it's kind of like they've, they've t all taken i mean all the anthology comics of dc at the time probably some at marvel too they took cues from the twilight zone you know the the rod serling twilight zone um oh yeah tv show because you know you put a bit of romance in there you put a bit of uh you know war you put a bit of everything and then you see what works and then you check the letter columns the next month and then work off of that to, to improve the title <laughs> that's kind of the formula mm -hmm. they had yeah see what sells yeah exactly so you know there's uh that's basically a, a rough history but i should mention though misty something i didn't mention the last time i talked about weird war is that you know two very famous comic book artists debuted in the weird war tales title and that was frank miller and walt simonson the, those are not well-known facts they actually had their first printed work show show up in weird war tales and frank miller obviously huge name in comics and then walt simonson too um, and uh, this is where they cut their teeth <laughs> on Weird War Tales. So lots of lots of great uh, memories associated with this title for me personally as a kid reading it. Uh, it was always, it is my favorite 
anthology horror comic, even more so than House of Mystery and um, House of Secrets and Secrets of the Sinister House and all of those titles. Marvel mm -hmm. did have, obviously, some anthology format comics like Tomb of Darkness, Chamber of Chills, you know, but or Dead of Night. But those titles focused a Fever. lot on... Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, but they focused a lot on reprints. You remember, Misty? That yeah, a lot of, like, mm -hmm. 50s, 40s reprints. Showing up in those titles. So, mm -hmm. But DC was producing the new material, you know, in these anthology format comics. So... But I think Marvel sort of uh, still came out on top with their monster magazines, you know, their horror magazines, which DC didn't publish. So Marvel had a whole new market that that they exploited, <laughs> you know, with those horror magazines. <laughs> DC sort of fell behind. But I think DC definitely um, won in terms of creative content for the normal anthology format comics. So I love yeah, this. you know, I never really considered that before of like how many of those Marvel anthology horror series are actually reprints of their like pre-code stuff or um, uh, yeah. is it pre-code stuff? Yeah, it's pre-code, pre-code. Well, I mean, they yeah. obviously selected the less salubrious or the less, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, controversial Title, so they would never take something from, let's say, eerie publications in the '60s. Mm -hmm. They would never take something like that. They would take things from Mystic or Uncanny Tales or something like that for, or you know, uh, the Thing or Fear, and they and then they would put that in. They would select the stories that weren't too, uh, possibly. Now that I think about it, they selected the stories that were done by people like Stan Lee and 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 uh, maybe Gene Colan or Jack Kirby way back when. People who worked at Marvel in the '70s at the time. They would obviously mm -hmm. try to get that because it was in the public domain. So they would reprint stuff done by Marvel editors and writers and artists who were still at the company. So a lot of those stories were not very bloody. They weren't EC level fair, but still good, still great art, still lots of yeah. twists and turns. I like them. Still class classic, still spooky. Hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. And, um, you know, then the covers of Weird War and the covers of all, and in fact, the DC comics at the time and the Marvel ones, that, that's the one that really, the things I really remember because I bought things based on covers at the time. You know, normally there was, when you're at the corner store and you're at the spinner rack, there's a no reading, no, you know, this is not a library kind of policy. So you kind of have <laughs> yeah. to look at the covers and buy based off of those. And the covers really worked because they're so compelling, right, Misty? They are so compelling. They're really great. Yes, they're great. Now, there's one more thing I want to mention, though. There's not a lot of ladies showing up in these comics. It's more kind of <laughs> like a boys' comic. But yeah. you and I, we've sifted through a lot of Weird War in the past two months. And we have, you know, happened upon a couple of issues where... We're featuring very strong, you know, lady-like, uh, lady characters. Um, mm -hmm. The women in these issues do, I mean, because if you think about war, women played a huge role. They were code breakers. They were communications experts. Um, there were mathematicians, you know, women mathematicians. There were cartographers. Um, you know, um, they were essential in helping to win the war. And... Um, mm -hmm. You know, they might have not had a combat role, but, you know, hey, if, if you've got brains, you know, why put, put them on the front lines? You know, keep them in the jobs with which they, they can do the most good. And they were definitely better at communications. They were better at, 
you know, um, those kind of jobs, which would serve to have you, you kind of have to be more, you know, um, you have to be good with your, you know, uh, with basically <laughs> relaying information. And um, they did that. They were uh, essential to winning the war, at least for the British side, you know, where uh, I don't know much about the American side. But the research I've done suggests that. However, the ladies we're going to be talking about this time, right, Misty? They're more in the thick of it. <laughs> they're right yes, on the front they are. lines. Yeah. But they're heroes, actually. <laughs> in a yeah, they're, they're, they're a part of these wars, whether they want to be or not. So they're finding a way to do good in the ways that they can do good. Yeah, so obviously, you know, you being a fan of Weird War and being a, a, a girl, you kind of sometimes want a character <laughs> you can identify with, right? So, oh, yeah. But, you know, sometimes it's not the case. Like for me, my favorite, well, one of my favorite comic book characters per se, but one of my definite favorites in Weird War Tales is one that you and I have discussed off mic, and that's Dr. Medusa from the Creature Commandos. And she, you know, I think it was a good idea of, I think it was Len Wein, the editor, who introduced her, but she might have been created by J.M. DeMatteis, I'm not sure. But they introduced her, and that sort of boosted sales for a while there, because now people had, you know, lady uh, readers, you know, girls started to read the title. Um, mm -hmm. Plus, she was sort of uh, almost the main character for a while there, you know, lots of the stories centered around her and was from her perspective sometimes. And she also introduced the tragic element. There was like a bit of a an, uh, uh, sort of uh, romantic relationship between her and the Frankenstein-like monster, Lucky Taylor, you know, of the, the creature commandos. So, um, like you say, when you introduce some, some extra, you know, um, something extra into the comics, like romance, um, that mm -hmm. sort of upsells there because this is something readers aren't used to seeing. So, you know, it there... creates that kind of a personal connection with the, with the character or, or sort of develops their personality a little bit more. So you care about them because you're like, oh, they have, they have the capacity to love, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, that makes it even more tragic, like we said, when the horror happens. So, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. To, yeah, that's one way to really gain sympathy for a character is to show them in a loving relationship that it's is destroyed or something interrupts that relationship. And that can be a real point of conflict in a story. That's right. That's right. But, you know, the, the stories we've picked, though, today, <clears throat> you picked one, I picked one. Um, I picked mine solely based off of the cover and then, you know, I went into the story and then I was pleasantly surprised that I picked the right one. But, but for you, I think it was the cover and it was the story that sort of immediately said, I, we got to do this. We got to talk about it. Um, yes. Yeah. So first I, I looked through all of the covers and found covers that had like had women on them, uh, and on the off chance that there'd be a woman in the book somewhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not like I absolutely need to have a, a female character in every story I read, but I tend to like to talk about the stories that have a, a woman in them just for the sake of that I'm doing this podcast with you and I can perhaps represent for the ladies a little bit, you know, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I like to find those comics that have the, the rare female character and talk a little bit about how she's handled, like how she's written or represented. Mm. I, I find that, you know, I, 
I love doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's good too because you know um, having a female horror host on the podcast, you kind of have to take your you know hosts. Um, predilections into account and it is true that when you read a comic you want to find a character that you can you know identify with so obviously you know I don't yeah. I don't mind that at all but you know it is interesting because it also opens my eyes to some of the stories of the time you know about female agency and so forth but I think in these two issues it's well represented you know because these girls are are at the forefront um, and they're basically, it's, it's only in two of the stories though. The rest of the stories are more like boys comics, right? <laughs> Where yeah. you have yeah. no female characters, but there is another one. Yeah. You know, there's another pretty good one that we're going to be talking about involving an alien, <laughs> which I think. Oh, I think... wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually there's like, it's like four, I think four of the six stories in these two comics mm. have a female character that factors into the plot. Yeah, yeah, which is unusual for a war comic. I think even the listeners would admit to that. But um, yeah, because war comics are more like, especially in Britain, you know, and um, when I grew up, the kind of war comics we got was all from from you know, the UK, you know. it You have kind of like the Japanese where they separate manga into manga for boys, manga for girls. The, the British war comics we got was definitely, okay, you don't, this is not for girls, right? This is, which is, which is wrong. The American comics, though, they didn't do that. They're like, hey, we're, we're, we welcome any and all readers. And in fact, there are a few of the letters written to Weird War Tales from women, you know? So mm -hmm. not, not a lot, but there are, especially when Dr. Medusa was introduced. So, yeah. But these ones nice. were early on. I mean, we're specifically, listeners, we're talking about issue 67, and issue number 82. So um, with that, you know, that's, I think, uh, everything I've got to say about the history of Weird War. I don't know if you've got any other uh, factoids you want to mention, Misty, but I've sort of exhausted my memory here. <laughs> that's all I have, just that uh, quote by Joe Orlando <laughs> saying, uh, <laughs> well, that's the, the weird, very weird sentence. Well, that's the very bit of information that I didn't have. So it's like very apt. <laughs> perfect <laughs> excellent so listeners without further ado we'll head on into our next segment which is obviously it came from the long box stay tuned don't go away need a podcast talking about weird stuff well then we've got just the thing for you into the weird a podcast chronicling the madness and magnificence of the mighty marvel bronze age of comics featuring the voice talents of Mr. Billy Delicious. Hola. Mr. Herman Hellstrom Lowe. Hey there. And straight from the long box of darkness, his infernal majesty Dormammu. How you? And many more. But wait a minute. You might be thinking, aren't all comics infused with a grain of weirdness? I mean, Reed Richards can stretch every single part of his body, right? And why did Ultron design the vision with working genitalia? Well, you would be correct, but Into the Weird isn't just any regular comic book show, folks. We focus on the really bizarre. Here are a few examples. A sword and sorcery barbarian grown spontaneously from a jar of peanut butter. A duck running for president of the United States. Benjamin Franklin playing hide the sausage with Doctor Strange's girlfriend, Clea. A giant-sized man-thing lamenting the death of a clown. A serial killer obsessed with killing only fools. 
dressed as Cavalier with laser guns after witnessing a priest fornicating. And so much more. So if you like the wonderful weirdness of the Bronze Age from 1970 to 1985, and characters such as Ghost Rider, Morbius, The Defenders, Man-Thing, Son of Satan, Skull the Slayer, Kill Raven, Howard the Duck, and the weird granddaddy of them all, Dr. Stephen Strange, then this is the show for you. ITW's on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and TuneIn. Hit subscribe and join us for a comic-filled jaunt into the weird. All right, listeners, uh, I'm going to start off with giving you a bit of uh, information about issue 67 first, which is the one I picked. Uh, it'll include a synopsis, not too long, because after all, there are three stories. The first story, though, is what we focused on, right, Misty? So I'm going to give a bit of a longer synopsis when it comes to the title story. Um, but let's get to some of the uh, uh, information here about the comic. This was Weird War Tales number 67, cover dated September 1978. But it was only on sale in June the 13th of 1978, and the editor was Paul Levitz at the time. Um, the cover art, done by the great Joe Kubert, um, it's a particularly arresting cover, and it includes three stories. Normally, all of the Weird War Tales issues had three. Sometimes four showed up, but, but three was the norm. The first one, The Attack of the Undead, which is the story featured on the cover. Second one, The Lost Ace, and then the last one, The Alien Among Us. All right, so the first story, Attack of the Undead, only seven pages long. Writer Jack Harris and the artist E.R. Cruz lettered by Efset Mahillam. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct correctly. <laughs> Forgive me, Efset, if he's still with us. Colorist, Jerry Serpy. All right, the synopsis for issue 67 is as follows. Attack of the Undead. France, 1944. Hendrik von Schmidt, a particularly vile Nazi soldier, is on a scouting mission with four of his fellows when they happen upon an allied encampment. Schmidt wants to launch an immediate and suicidal attack, but some sentries discover their presence and they are forced to flee into the countryside. Spotting an old farmhouse, they decide to stay there for the night. It is occupied, however, by an alluring young French girl named Yvette, whom Hendrik immediately, well, she immediately fires his lascivious desires. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for him and his troops, though, she turns out to be a blood-starved vampire who goes to town on the lot of them, draining them dry in seconds and sealing their fates, obviously. After three she, days, though... She thirsts. Yeah, can you believe it? I mean, it, it was such a surprise. I was like, yeah, bastards, but yeah, I didn't really see that coming. <laughs> I can tell you why. Tell me. Tell us. Well, when we first come across Yvette, she's wearing a tattered white gown, like floor-legged gown. <laughs> and yeah. you don't, when you're in a war zone, you don't think like, I'm going to put on a floor-length white gown to hang out in. But, you know, that's her style. That's cool. Uh, but what that portrays to a reader subconsciously is that she's innocent. There's a level of innocence yeah. there. That she's dressed all in white and that her gown is tattered, which means she's been through something. So you're like, oh, she's vulnerable. Yeah. You know, she's a vulnerable person. So you 
she's very unsuspecting when when these Nazis come across her they think they can get one over on her because she just appears as like oh I'm just a blonde French lady in this white mm. tethered ball gown and oh no you know so yeah. she seems yeah. very mm. inconspicuous that's right uh, that's just by point. the way the way that she's drawn mm, that's a good point I didn't really think about that but she might have planned that too I mean that's the look she's probably going for to mm-hmm. get the you know the Nazis or whoever her victims are which is in this case possibly the Nazis we'll find out a bit later about her motivations mm-hmm. but yeah to yep. get them if to- you're ever if you're ever guilty of something if you're trying to appear uh innocent and virginal wear a white white gown <laughs> <laughs> okay we got to take a cue from her on that one mm-hmm. they'll um, never suspect a thing no and they didn't right because wow mm-hmm. she took them out lickety split and, uh, you know, then, strangely enough, though, she left them there drained dry. And we all know what happens based on vampire lore, at least some vampire lore. After three days and three nights, you rise from the grave as a member of the undead. And that's exactly what happens to these five uh, unfortunate, but they see this as fortunate. Uh, oh, yeah. These, these, they're psyched. Yeah, they're, they're psyched. They're really it. happy to have some new vampiric powers on top of also being nazis <laughs> oh, yes now they're even more vulnerable. now they're now they're nazi vampires <laughs> exactly and uh, it turns out that they know a fair bit about vampire lore as well because hendrik immediately says okay let's turn this power on the allies because apparently according to what he knows of vampires is when you drain your victim and you turn them into a vampire they have to obey you you become the de facto master vampire that they then have to serve. So it's a good thing that Yvette left the premises. Otherwise, in the words of Hendrik, they would have had to obey her. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, she's absconded. They're alone. They're their own masters. And they decide to turn the entire allied camp into their vampire slaves. However, big surprise when they, well, they immediately shape change into bats and fly over there. And when they fly through these, these tents, it almost looks like a good old-style revival tent that the Allies have <laughs> set up there. And, and There's a fact, huge cross damn in it, one yeah. of these tents. They've got all the paraphernalia needed for a church you know, session in the countryside. But obviously, this is, this is for killing vampires because it turns out that the Allies have been tipped off that the vampires are about to attack. Once in the tent, the bats immediately are beset upon by the cross, the crucifixes, and the holy light emanating from these things. And they revert to human form. And uh, lo and behold, the allies all have sharpened stakes (laughs) (laughs) prepared. And they immediately drive these through the hearts of the five Nazi vampires. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the tale ends with, um, I think it's like a chaplain, you know, one of, you know, the soldiers used to have like a a soldier who accompanied the squad, a chaplain. He's like a, you know, a soldier who's also like a minister or a reverend. And he's got his little Bible with him, or it could just be a particularly religious soldier who carries his Bible around with him. Right. And um, one of the other soldiers are asking him, so, so how, how did you know that the vampires would attack tonight? How did you know to prepare us for their attack? And then he confesses that they were tipped off by a lady who's very patriotic to her country. She would see France freed from the Nazi scourge, but she herself is damned. And then the end, right, Misty? So what does that tell you? Mm-hmm. The very lady She's who tipped them uh, off. Yeah. 
Yvette. She's a vampire, but she loves her country. You know, yeah. she's lived in probably lived in France for thousands of years and doesn't want to see it fall to a Nazi occupation. Maybe she doesn't like uh, bratwurst. <laughs> Who does? Ugh. No, no, no. I'm kidding. There's some good bratwurst out there, but still, I will talk about some more bratwurst later <laughs> when we get to our oh. issue. Oh, damn! Well done. I mean, well done in terms of good job on picking that issue, but also well done in terms of how you like your bratwurst. Damn, that's gonna be a good one. So that's you know, but now, Misty, I've got a couple of gripes with this story. I mean, she turned them into vampires. She could have just lopped off their heads then and there. Uh, but she, I think she was all about irony and she was all about like, you know, uh, giving them a bit of false hope and then having that snatched away from them as well. Or she wanted to give the ad uh, the allies a taste of the action. I don't exactly know her motivation, but she had these Nazis at her mercy. She, she could have, uh, she didn't have to turn them into vampires. She could have killed them in the villa or in the, the, the countryside uh, farmhouse where she was living without mm -hmm. having to turn them into vampires. Or she could have turned them into vampires and then compounded their suffering by forcing them to work with the allies. <laughs> you know, yeah, because... she could have just ordered them yeah. to stop being Nazis. Yeah, exactly. You know, because they have to follow her orders and she turned them into vampires. She could have ordered them to stop being Nazis and to fight with the allied soldiers. Yeah. Um, or just to like walk themselves into a lake and stay there, you yeah, know. Exactly, forever. Never... <laughs> she could have had so much fun. But she basically just pieces out right after she turns them all into vampires. Yeah, and then decides, oh, maybe in the heat of the moment, my, my passion was too strong. I turned them into vampires. Now they're going to be a, a blight on the countryside. I should do something about this. And then she went to the Allies. So I don't know her motivations, but, you know, who does, you know, know the motivations of the undead? They're on a, on a level of their own. I just like the way the story played out. So there's some inconsistencies in the logic of the plot, but... It was a great yeah. tale, and the art was by you know by Cruz E R Cruz is even it it added even more to the mix for me, and this was a very enjoyable story. What what's your overall impression of you know how the story shaped out or how it <clears throat> played out for you, Misty? Um. I actually didn't think about it the same way you did where she, well, I did kind of wonder why she just disappeared. Yeah. You just don't see her for the rest of the story. And then she kind of leaves it up to the U.S. soldiers to stake all the vampires, um, which is fine. You know, it's cool. Maybe she's like, uh, maybe just wanted to drain them and isn't really, well, no, that's right. She is patriotic because at the end of the, Chaplin was like a very patriotic young woman told us about <laughs> this attack, you know, so but maybe that was him just projecting her patriotism. Mm. I don't, you're right. It's hard to under, understand her motivations for turning them into vampires because that would make them more powerful. Yeah. But then she turned turned them into that. So it is. Yeah, that's a little bit confusing, but I, I loved it um, because she well she tricked them she's she's one of she's a she's a trope that we see a couple times in these two issues of the what is it the evil demon seductress oh yeah, yeah. it's like a Succubus. classic classic women in stories trope where uh she appears to be an innocent seductive mm. woman and then 
oh, she's an evil demon, haha. <laughs> so they, yeah. so she's that, but they kind of turn it on its head a little bit to where she, but she's good though, you know, she's like an evil demon, but she's on our side, so it's it's good. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, she uses her sexuality as a weapon, but in our in our you know cause so <laughs> in the allies cause so right. it's fine yeah and also yeah. though like i i don't know quite if she was using if she was really trying to seduce them she did just appear in like like kind of a low cut or high, high cut and low cut gown <laughs> um but at this, but it was she wasn't actively just like mm, nazis you guys are cute come here and make out you know she just was there and they like you said thought they mm. saw an opportunity to do some yeah uh some messed up stuff to this woman who's like on her own you know mm. so i feel like she wasn't being seductive but she did portray herself as being kind of like innocent and vulnerable which can be seductive to the wrong kind of men, perhaps. Yeah. yeah if no, that I, makes sense. No, yeah. I, I know what you mean. It's, and these guys were definitely yeah. the wrong kind of men. I mean, if yeah. you look at the character of this Hendrik von Schmidt on his own, I mean, the guy is a reprehensible human being. For, for one, he is um, suicidal. He, he Everything for the fatherland. He's willing to die, you know, for, for, for the cause. And then he's also a would-be rapist. He's, you know, got no qualms mm -hmm. about you know, um, taking at, you know, uh, Yvette. And then also he's got this scar across of his face, uh, across his face, making him look even more evil. And then he sort of uh, bullies the, the rest of the troop around. I mean, it seems that he's got the authority, but we never actually learn his rank. But it seems to be that he's sort of, um, you know, uh, the leader of this small pack of, of Germans who are scouting. And then, you know, he's even mean to his own soldiers, you know, threatening yeah. them. Um, so this guy's definitely a piece of scum. <laughs> you know that. Yeah, he's to... wild. Yeah, his his devotion to being a Nazi is is he's unhinged. He's exactly. risking. He's ready to risk everything to yeah. uh, for for what he believes in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's a great villain to introduce and then have killed later on. Have him be be killed because that gives you a little bit of you know a lot of satisfaction at least. But, yeah, but um, his his team his team is even kind of downing him. They're like this guy. Even his even the fellow Nazis that he's with are like this guy's crazy. Like this, <laughs> he's actually he's going a bit too far with this. Like they're like, oh, are you sure you wanna? Yeah, they're like we know crazy because I mean Hitler's totally batshit insane. But this guy, oh, pardon the pun, batshit insane. Mm -hmm. This guy's mm -hmm. even more. <laughs> You know, crazy than, crazier than Hitler. So, yeah, they're, it, they're worried. And his character actually reminded me of an, a recent article in The New Yorker by David Roth about the movie Starship Troopers. Have you seen that movie? I love that movie. I, I've seen it, yeah, it's, dozens of times. I love the book. It's so good. What, did, what was the article um, about, though? Was it because I know there was a recent article where someone didn't actually get the whole point of Starship Troopers, because I, I don't know, this was definitely not the New Yorker article, but this was something I read on Twitter where someone says, oh, it hasn't aged well because, oh, it's all about militarism and stuff like that. But I mean, the original movie and the book was was to show a parody of that, you know, so it, it's not that. Yeah. Is, it, is it about that? Uh, it's 
it's about um, the limits of a society that is entirely based on war. When you have a whole society like in Starship Troopers where they glorify war, everybody wants to be a soldier, everybody wants to be a hero, um, but they're up against an impossible enemy like these these bugs and they're just getting slaughtered and mm. um it it the article is essentially talking about how there's limits to approaching life like that you you oh. can't just have one tool in your box you know if yeah. if violence is the only tool you have that that's not going to work in every situation yeah and in in klaus's case his only tool he had was his loyalty and his perhaps willingness to do violence. And it, it drew, he was uh, on a track to doom. It, it pretty yeah. much sent him on a path to doom, just like a one way ticket to, to the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the, the ultimate end of, of all war. I'm sure the horror host death would agree. You know, it, it's true. Sometimes you got to, I mean, sometimes it's black and white. You know, like in World War II, I would argue it wasn't completely black and white, but <clears throat> there were definitely the good guys and the bad guys. There were the guys who were in favor of genocide and ones who weren't at that time, the Americans and the British and the French, in favor of genocide. But, you know, um, <laughs> at so that, that was, time. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> right. perpetrated genocide in some form, you know, in their history so i don't want to say mm -hmm. they're always they've always been the good guys but the allies right, i think yeah. it was pretty clear-cut based on our values now that they valued life a little bit more than the germans did because there was just wanton you know fascism running oh just a little yeah. bit yeah just we weren't actually bit. building like murder mass murder machines yeah like the germans were doing yeah exactly crazy wild stuff Ugh. yeah Ugh. and even the japanese and in, in you know in China, what they perpetrated over there with, you know, <clears throat> the atrocities, yeah. there wasn't any of that at the time attributed to the Americans and the British and, and some of the, the allies in, in Europe as well. So, you know, they like, were the good uh, guys at that point in time. It was pretty black and white um, uh, relatively. But, you know, like you say, most war these days are not like that at all. There's so many global issues coming into play, politics and stuff like that. So if you have a culture that glorifies war, you know, like you say, in Starship ship Troopers, there's only one mm -hmm. end, really, and that is, you know, ultimate yeah. destruction. So yeah. I think, but, but you know, the book and the movie was a parody of that, whereas I know some, some people say that Starship Troopers hasn't aged well because it sort of glorifies rampant militarism. But I think it, it's more prescient than that. It was a critique of that, yeah. the, the book itself, it was. the movie. So I love that movie so much. I do. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm Team Dizzy all the way. I don't like Carmen. I'm I'm a Dizzy fan. <laughs> oh man, a girl who can play football like that. Damn, she just she stole my heart. And <laughs> back back in that you know d during those days when <laughs> it was all about that. So you know I love that movie. I, I can rewatch it endlessly. Really. It's there's a, there's a lot of good looking uh, soldiers oh, in damn. that movie. Casper Van yeah. Dien. Uh, I, I don't remember the, the rest, but I know Barney from <laughs> How, I Met, How I Met Your Mother's in there. <laughs> you know, what's his oh, name? Oh, I forgot about yeah, him being in there. He's, yeah. He's the, science, the science whiz. And then you've got Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown as the drill sergeant. Come on. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I love Clancy Brown. His voice, oh, it's, it's amazing. And a couple of other guys too. I just, I just forgot their names. But yeah, it's I like, would love. Hmm? Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> I just had a thought, and I thought I'd say it right away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see. Like, I love the character of the vampire who's also an allied informant like that sounds i want to know more about her you know i want to know what's her life like she's she's uh murdering nazis and informing the allies i'm like one does she have a romance going with somebody on the allied side is that why she's protecting them you know like there's that could be a cool character yeah what adventures did she get up to in world war ii she must have had more than just this one she could yeah. be, who is she? I mean, she could be Joan of Arc, for all we know. She could be like, <laughs> Joan of Arc. Having a been vampire Joan of Arc? Yeah. She's still she there. She could be, yeah. Uh, any, uh, they could do anything with this, a character like this. I would have loved to see that, you know, some someone with real motivation, a, a patriotic vampire in France. Patriotic Damn. French vampire, oh. yes. Mm, don't forget that term, <laughs> wench. That, at least that's what the Nazis see her as. But you know, oh, yeah. great story, Misty. I, I, I'm, I think we're going to leave our favorite panels and favorite bits of dialogue till the end of the issue. But this is okay. definitely my favorite uh, story. But there's a couple of other great tales that we're going to talk about just now. But this is, I'm, I'm saying this right off the bat. This is my, my, my standout. Um, and then before I forget, the opening splash panel of this comic which shows death we talked about him he's always the horror host introducing every story that page is great um where he death is sort of crouching on a little hill of human skulls and oh yeah instead of holding a flag he's holding his scythe and then Mm -hmm. in the background you have some pretty cool images you have a, a soldier pledging his soul to the devil or to a demon he's in a pentagram and you have a future war a scene where this little robot R2-D2 like looking it's robot like R2-D2 yeah <laughs> he's blasting a tank to smithereens with these arm cannons mm-hmm. and, and then you have like a, a picture on the top right uh, in the background of a Nazi vampire attacked attacking some you know allied soldiers uh, in a dugout so I loved uh, this little splash panel, but it has nothing to do with what's happening in the interiors. <laughs> you know, this is just a <laughs> bit of background. You know, the, the only thing that has something to do is perhaps the Nazi vampire in yeah. the upper right hand corner. But yeah, there isn't anywhere where a soldier pledges his allegiance to Satan and there's no R2-D2 future war story. Sadly, sadly no, sadly no. But we'll, we'll get yeah. similar stories you know, in, in subsequent issues, but nothing like this. So I was kind of like, oh, but also, wow, thanks for giving us this panel, but oh. <laughs> it makes me wonder what the process is for not only like splash panels, but also covers when they're having the covers created. Do they perhaps have the cover created before the stories are finished? And that's why the covers sometimes represent what's in comic sort of you know where it's like Mm -hmm. oh there's elements here that are in this book but it's not exactly any scene from any of these stories yeah well it makes me wonder yeah that's a good good question what i know of the 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 preferred process was that the the writer um submits uh you know a script 
and then um, and obviously there's a plot I outline in the beginning the editor goes over that he approves it but he he asks for some rewrites but at the time mm -hmm. that the er editor approves it because of time constraints they already then um, you know get the the cover artist and they already start to put things in motion so the cover artist probably gets the plot synopsis that was submitted by the writer or that was quickly edited by the editor at the time. What what then happens, Misty, is sometimes then when they get the finished art of the interior pencils, they want to make changes. So then there's pro possibly a rewrite by the writer again and new art pages being submitted to the story. And then the cover has already been done. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so that's why sometimes, especially in the Weird War Tales title, the covers don't reflect what's happening in the interiors. Um, yeah, or, you know. or they'll just be like, they'll have elements of it, but not exactly what's happening in the story. Exactly. So, it, that, yeah, that, thank you for sharing that. That's really enlightening. Mm. And before I forget, this little splash panel uh, that we see in the very first, on the very first page, that was done by Romeo Tangle. You know, so he's almost like a cover artist, but he was known for doing the splash panels of death introducing the, the comic. And, um, and usually they also didn't have a lot to do with the interiors. It just had a, a death on a cool background and uh, giving a bit of a, his wisdom <laughs> you know, regarding <laughs> the futility of war and how he loves it. So, yeah, great bit of uh, a splash panel there. Okay, Misty, let's move on to the second story, which is I'm going to just quickly run through this one because this one was my least favorite of the bunch. Strangely, though, done by a legend as well. He later would become a legend, Howard Chaikin on art Howard Chaikin is, is is you know a big deal in comics obviously nowadays and and in the 80s he made a name for him with stuff like American Flag and you know uh, he did The Shadow and lots of other series for DC but this was when he was still you know very young and um, the story was in fact written by a guy called Mark Manhart with only art by Howard Chaikin later later on Chaikin would write his own stuff he would sort of become a you know a, a, a do-it-all kind of creator uh, lettered by Milt Snappen and colored by Jerry Serpy again. And um, this story, in fact, was later reprinted in Sergeant Rock, special number three in 1989. So it's, it's uh, obviously because Chaikin is, became famous later on. They reprinted a lot of his old stuff. Now, um, the synopsis here is very short. The Lost Ace. Marshall, an ace American fighter pilot, is dismayed to see his squadron shot down by a Japanese pilot called Saburo. Marshall vows revenge, but his confrontation with Saburo does not turn out as planned. In a mid-air head-on collision, the two planes are downed with only one man crawling from the wreckage, Saburo. Marshall's wingman, a, a man just for some reason called Deputy, swears vengeance in turn, and upon hearing that the Japanese ace has recovered and is manning his zero once more, Deputy takes to the skies to meet him in an epic dogfight. Saburo manages to get the better of him, but just as the Japanese Sky Master is about to make his kill, a ghostly plane rises from the waves and smashes into Saburo's Zero, destroying it and saving Deputy's life. The story ends with Deputy realizing that it was his old friend Marshall who had wreaked vengeance from beyond the grave and saved the life of his wingman while taking out his bitter enemy and taking him to the land of the dead to, you know, make good 
on his promise of taking vengeance upon Saburo. So a uh, very short, very fun little tale, but not really too much of a standout for me. Misty, what did you think about this story? Um, you're right. It was, it was pretty short. It was, uh, I kind of got a, a real big kick out of the ghost plane coming up at the end. It was a, it was a heroic moment because the, because deputy had been shot down and he was barreling towards the surface of the ocean and he pulled up at the last minute. And right as he pulled up, the ghost plane shot out of the water. And it was like this big heroic moment where not only was he saved because he pulled away from the water at the last minute, but also his friend and uh, captain friend, captain yeah, Marshall. Yeah. He captain, was captain. Captain. yeah the, he was the leader of the yeah. squadron. So captain, you're right. Yeah. He, he shot out of the water. This is, this is kind of a, a moment where you want to stand up and cheer, you know, like, yeah, ghost plane. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I'll, I'll, I just absolutely love the action in this, in this comic. I felt like maybe, you know, the story and plot was pretty short. It was, it's like a tale of revenge from beyond the grave, but the art in the flow of the art and the action scenes with the planes fighting, the planes shooting, all of the wonderful sound effects, like the chukka chukka. Oh, it's great. <laughs> oh my God, there's so many great plane sound effects in this. So there's like, there's a lot to appreciate about this story if you're a fan of war planes mm. and airplanes and plane fighting. Because like the illustrations of the, the planes fighting each other is really, th those are really cool. I love the fact that the American planes, the Tiger Squadron, all have these shark mouths painted on, you know, the front of the plane, making it look like a shark, you know, um, flying the skies. And then, in fact, when the plane, the ghost plane did uh, leap out of the water, it looked kind of like a shark with wings, you know, coming yeah. out of the water. Because think about it, the rest of the plane was all white and transparent, but the shark mouth was red and bloody. <laughs> oh yeah and you, awesome. on it in the in one of the last panels it looks like it's smiling yeah, yeah it does it look does like it's smiling. like it's smiling <laughs> like i'm taking you out buddy boy <laughs> poor mm -hmm. saburo he didn't know what hit him and the panel just before that misty where they show the the grim visage of the the ghostly um pilot of that plane marshall yeah. you know with this this frown on his face and these dark well he has no eyes to speak of it's just darkness and these little pinpoints of light in it and then you've got death as the horror host uh, you know narrating that caption box and he's like you know wearing the scarf <laughs> death with his you know uh, pilot helm on i love oh, he calls so him much. oh i love that panel too i'm sorry i keep interrupting you <laughs> no go ahead that's there's so many great things to say here he calls him a supernatural dreadnought oh what a great line. Yeah, supernatural yeah. dreadlock. No, I love the fact that, you know, there's a fair bit of exposition in these early comics, but um, yeah. uh, Deputy, he wants to make sure that we as the readers knows what's happening here. And he's like, I'm, I must be seeing things. That's Marshall's plane, only it's transparent. It's a ghost <laughs> plane. <laughs> ghost plane. Oh, man, that's brilliant. Oh, I love it. Yeah, supernatural dreadnought. What a great description well wow, yes yeah, if you just saw if you just saw that plane illustrated that way you wouldn't know it was a ghost plane you kind of need you kind of need deputy to say that's a ghost plane i yeah. can see through that 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, and don't you just love, I mean, death, I've mentioned this on the earlier Weird War Tales episode I did. Death is my favorite horror host. The Weird War Tales death, though. But, you know, he, he's so eloquent. But then he shows up in other titles like Elvira's House of Mystery that we discussed as a troubadour. Mm -hmm. And he sings. Mm -hmm. And he can do it all. <laughs> I mean, death. He's, he's got all the skills of humanity at his disposal. He can use it whenever he wants to, you know, up the level of his horror hosting to make guys like Abel and Cain and, you know, the, you know, Uncle Creepy. He can make them look like, you know, basically like cheerleaders. Um, whereas he's this, you know, this ingenue, this, he's, he's just a brilliant horror host. I mean, just the, pre the fact that he's death already gives him enough presence to make you listen to him. Um, I just, I love his outfits. I love all of death's outfits. I love the way they dress him up That's according funny. to what story they're talking about. Like, uh, he can be dressed up like a soldier. He's dressed <laughs> up like a pilot in this one. The spaceman. <laughs> <laughs> next one yeah he's really he's really got the frame for it he can pull off basically anything mm -hmm. you know like i love it yeah, hats, glasses that's what scars. Was, that's what he was known for <laughs> in fact you and i we've got to put together a twitter post or something of death's best costumes in world war world war tales you, you got to start working on that misty i'll start working on mine Sure. Start a thread on on Twitter with that, but yeah, the well, sun, yeah? that could also speak to that death can come in all forms. You know, yeah. like yeah. death is a soldier, or death, death is a pilot, or death is a, a medic. Yeah, <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> or a, exactly, or a cowboy, or yeah. like a scuba diver. Any oh, whatever yeah. they need to be in the moment. Yeah. He is, yeah, he can be anything. And it's true, death is everywhere, ever present, you know. So, yeah, it's very apt. It's very, very um, meta, <laughs> you know, if you think about it. That oh, way. you know what I just thought of? Yeah. Now with this pandemic, death could literally be anybody. That's, it could be that's anyone. Right. That's right. Everybody has the potential to, uh, you know, cause an insane amount of death just walking around carrying this virus, especially the maskless, right. the maskless, the maskless bastards. Yeah. So yeah. when you're when you're out there walking around and you see a maskless person, just imagine their face is a skull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that they're like holding a scythe. <laughs> Harbingers of death. That's like they're holding mm -hmm. a, a, an invisible scythe, just not wearing a mask. You're right, Misty. Well, that's very, very apropos. <laughs> of what's been happening these days. Damn. Because it could be anybody. That, that's right. And then it probably is, eventually will be everybody. <laughs> Not just anybody. Oh. If we don't <laughs> put a stop to this stupidity. But oh, listen, boy. listen, before we get off this, you know, comic, I wanted to mention the sound effects you so aptly, you know, mentioned. Bakaroom is so, so <laughs> great. But this one sound effect that's really cool. You know, when a plane is down, normally they focus on action sound effects, you know, in comic books, you know, gunshots, uh, punches, explosions. But in this in this comic, there was a great sound effect where uh, Deputy is shot down by Saburo and the, the his plane is flaming and it's heading towards the waves in a death dive. And then the sound effect is just... <laughs> <laughs> I just I just love that. It's just like in my head I, I just heard it. It's like, yeah. I've recently oh, heard I love that. that. <laughs> oh, I, lo I love that I love that panel too. Like that that's beautiful. it's beautiful. That's Thank like you. a beautiful illustration of a plane moving 
very fast with the trail of flames and smoke yeah. curling behind it and like the rough sea of mm-hmm. reaching up to meet it it's beautiful and oh and the big moon, moon in the full moon oh it's beautiful it, it can't be a horror comic unless there's a full moon there's got to be at least 10 full moons oh, in like a horror comic oh, that's a you good know point there it has to that just adds to the, <laughs> the the horror you know effect that they they're going for it it does work the moon ever present moon and then the very last panel too where the end where deputy's flying off and the moon is there again he's flying yes. off with the moon you know uh, sort of illuminating his plane love it love it great great um, story um, but now you know that you've, we, you and I have talked about it it's kind of like a bit higher up on my score <laughs> listing here because oh good damn it is good but you know um, one of our friends on Twitter they were when we, we mentioned we're gonna we're, we're previewing what we're gonna be recording next he mentioned that I forgot who it was that the comics, you know, he's trying to find this particular issue online and it's hard because mm-hmm. it's very expensive. And I think the reason for that oh, is because two very popular and very famous artists are on this comic. Howard Chaikin being one, we just discussed him. And then the next story, the third tale, is actually done by Mike Grell. And and these guys went on to do great things. I mean, Mike Grell created The Warlord. You know, he went on to do uh, The Longbow Hunters, Green Arrow one of the well the seminal green arrow story and uh you know these guys they they became so famous uh chaken and 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 mike grell that they sort of like um became you know sort of wealthy off of just doing commissions you know for for artists uh for for fans at at comic conventions you know so they're big names in the industry and i guess that's why this issue you know is very expensive on on places like ebay and so oh yeah the next one oh that's Well, I hope hopefully they can find it in in some form so that they'll know what we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that it is available. I checked eBay after uh, you know um, that Twitter exchange, and it is on eBay. It's it, it's available, you know, definitely. But it is a little bit more pricey than a normal issue, so I'm, I'm, they can definitely pick it up if they want to. I mean, it it it's not insanely expensive, but you know, it's definitely like if you want a mid grade copy, you'll have to fork up fork out at least 10 bucks and uh, i have a question yeah do they print more of one issue than another when they were publishing these comics like for instance the primate platoon issue Mm. did they print way more of those than they did of this issue or Uh, do mm. they print the same amount for every issue no, it depends on on you know uh, sales of the of the title up to like let's say for instance they get the sales figures back like three or four months after a print run of a particular issue, and they see that there's a higher demand like let's say for instance they printed two hundred thousand copies, and a hundred ninety thousand of them sold, and then you know mm-hmm. let's say ten thousand were returned to the publisher, which sometimes happens. Okay, this is crazy numbers, listeners. I'm just like pulling these out off the top of my head. This might <laughs> might not be what. It is. but basically they printed more than usually sold but if everything sold out the next issue would have a larger print run they would ask for maybe 250 issues to be printed so, yeah i mean but sometimes it wasn't done that way this is just what i've read in in things like back issue magazine and you know yeah. comic collector magazines uh, they did then check the demand and then they would uh, do a larger print run so i'm also almost thinking that since you know the the weird war tales uh, popularity sort of uh, in 1975 roughly 
it, it sort of peaked and then eventually again came back, you know, the popularity um, res uh, sort of resurfaced during the Creature Commandos era, which is, I think, uh, 1980. Um, they did do larger print runs, but that sort of worked against them because eventually the title sort of, you know, the sales dropped off. So large print runs, a lot of comics unsold, but now we're reaping the benefits, Misty, because those, you know, comics that weren't sold were, were kept by whoever and then, you know, uh, redistributed on eBay or, or sold to comic shops later on. So there's yeah. a lot of Weird War Tales issues out there, mostly from people who owned it and wants to, you know, sell it because they've fallen on hard times, but also because a lot of issues have just never been sold and they've you know they've entered the market again somehow either through old comic book stores or um you know yard sales or what what whatnot i don't know but they're, they're out there weird war tales is not difficult to come by if you're a collector you want to fill up your run it's completely possible i need right about 12 issues to fill up my run then i've got the complete run and Ooh. I haven't gotten to it yet because those issues are very hard to come by. And I and most of them are available, but in lots, right? So now I, I, have, I have one issue I need, but I have to buy a lot of 20 comics to get that issue. And the other comics I might not want or I already have them. You know what I mean, Misty? So it's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. You, have to, you have to buy the lot, get the one issue, and then sell me the other 19. <laughs> because because I, I probably need like 160 issues to fill my... <laughs> <laughs> my run of them well there's only 124 <laughs> you want some oh, okay. double well, issues okay <laughs> no okay. but Fair i know enough. what you mean i know what you mean no yeah. well we, we, we gotta talk about this misty let's let's make a deal <laughs> off, <Yes>. off mic <laughs> anyway yes. it's possible listeners to get your hands on this issue just try because it's worth it but misty you recently posted a, another twitter post uh, concerning the third tale in, <laughs> yeah. in this collection this one was like they say in britain a corker <laughs> this one was a weird little story the alien among us that's the title listeners um now i realized that before i talked about the lost ace i forgot to to um no actually i did mention the credits on that one this one like i already mentioned it's mike growl right misty this one, though, is a little bit longer than the previous two tales. The first tale was seven pages. The second tale, The Lost Age, six. This one is a whopping 11 pages. 11 pages? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Making this story possibly the, the title or the story that headlined this comic. But, you know, it, it wasn't featured on the cover by Joe Kubert. Still, mm -hmm. um, this, this one was longer. And you, you could understand why, because there's more character development in the story. They focus more mm -hmm. on, on dialogue. Uh, the writer was Jack Olek and, uh, of course, Mike Grell on art. This was reprinted again, possibly because of Mike Grell's later popularity, reprinted in Amazing World of DC Comics, number 12 in 1976. And uh, the synopsis is as follows. A frog-like alien arrives on Earth, intent upon spying on humanity in preparation for an eventual invasion. As it turns out, the alien's people are at war, and this has rendered their planet uninhabitable, forcing them to seek out new habitation. Earth would make an ideal new home, and so the alien spy implements the first stages of his sinister plan, which is killing a local farmer and assuming his shape <laughs> that's 
One, kill local farmer, assume their shape. Exactly. So shape-changing aliens, you know, go figure. This is like attack of what, what the invasion of the body snatchers, but with frogs instead of plants. <laughs> so, you know, this guy, this alien, yeah. he's, he's got it all worked out. He's going to impersonate this farmer who's called Walt Donald. And um, after he killed the real Walt, he buries him in the barn. And this is going to play into the story later on, listeners. But no sooner has he finished this foul task when he is, in fact, surprised by a visitor. Uh, this visitor is a Miss Bridget O'Halloran, his bride-to-be, possibly from Ireland. <laughs> right, Misty? Possibly or definitely. Mail-ordered, <laughs> straight from Ireland. <laughs> She's uh we see when we see her she is of course wearing green plaid. Uh she's dressed in green from head to toe, green plaid and red hair. That's right, with a little parasol or something that she's pointing yeah, at. Yeah, she's him. holding an umbrella. She's kind of like uh gripping it with both of her fists like Oh damn. And she wields it she's like She's kind of yeah. she's ready to like beat somebody with it. Well, she was going to beat Walt Donald because he in fact did not know who she was at all, making her very upset because <laughs> yeah yeah she says you wrote me we agreed upon this marriage and now you pretend not to know me and then she brandishes that parasol like a nightstick <laughs> she's gonna like yeah she's mad i mean i would be too you come all the way from ireland to marry somebody who's been talking to you through letters and you're excited to be there and then you get there and he's like who are you what who <laughs> What's happening? What are you doing here? Like, but oh. little does she know it's because he's an alien now. That's right, and uh, yeah. he he decides to play the human card because he's not gonna give away his identity by acting in a way that his uh, that that Walt the real Walt Donald would not have done. So he decides, okay, he's gonna go with it. He's gonna invite her in, and in fact, yeah, he's gonna hear her out, and they're gonna get married. But um, she, in fact, then does brain him with the parasol. She's saying, I won't stay in a house with a, a, a single man, a man who's single, something like that. I, I insist upon being married first. And she, in fact, then drags him out of the house to immediately initiate the, the nuptials, right, Misty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the tonight. middle of the night. As they drive it, it looks like they're in, literally drive to town during the like the same night. She gets there, rings the doorbell, says, uh, "Hi, I'm Bridget O'Halloran, and I'm here for to be your wife. I answered your advertisement in the newspaper. Let's go to town right now. We're doing this right now." <laughs> <laughs> what are they living next to Las Vegas? I doubt it. <laughs> But they... She's an honest woman. She's yes. an honest woman. She's an Irish Catholic. Come on, you you do things right or you don't do it at all. And she's definitely going to do exactly. it things the way she wants. But she's a, a little bit overbearing. Um, she definitely does, you know, she's, she's wearing the slippers in this relationship or, or whatever. The you know, she, she actually does hit him with that umbrella. Uh, <laughs> she brains him a good one. She whacks him right in the head. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, well, she's not till the wedding ring is on my finger, all right and proper, and I'll not be sending spending the night with under like my Irish accent, <laughs> and I'll not be spending the night under the same roof with any single man. <laughs> with any single man, whacks him in right on the head, just beats him with the umbrella, which is yeah. Tight. She's a real when spitfire. You, 
Mm-hmm. This lady. Get things done. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's a go-getter. She's a, what what would you say, like a termagant? <laughs> I don't know, but she's definitely... She knows what she wants. Got a good head on her shoulder, definitely. She's not going to let any man... She knows what she wants, and she wants to be married. That's and right. she wants to be married right the fuck now. <laughs> and, and it happens, yes. Right away, it does happen. She gets, she gets her, you know, what she wants. And then, you know... Um, uh, Strangely enough, Walt, okay, he's already filed away this this blow that she's giving her on the head for revenge later on because he's he's already thinking, you know, when things have cooled down, you know, she's she's gonna have to join the real Walt under the floorboards or under the, the ground in the barn. So he but he decides to to do the human thing and he says, Okay, let's go on a honeymoon. Now, how the heck he knows what a honeymoon even is when, when he's yeah. there to observe human behavior? I mean, <laughs> what? He, I don't know. Yeah. But it should be mentioned that he did have some time at home alone before she arrived. I mean, I made it sound in the synopsis, Misty, that she immediately arrived after he buried the body. Possibly not. He probably had some time to read some books or whatnot. I don't know. But, you know, not that Maybe. much time to learn what a honeymoon is. Still, they go on a honeymoon to the city. Now, we don't know which city this is, but they were married in the town where, where he's from, in you know, the farming community, which will come, come back to, to bite Bridget later, you know, to bite her in the beehive. Because this farming <laughs> community seems to be very, you know, close. They, they throw parties for each other. They, they all attended the wedding. But then they go on this honeymoon to the city, and this the reason that he suggested this is twofold first to keep her happy and because she's very chuffed at learning that he's planning this trip and secondly to also observe humanity in his role as a spy you know and he thought well, what better place to do this in than a city where there's this whole you know melting pot of humans uh, to observe so uh, the the honeymoon goes well until you know Bridget notices that uh, he sort of leaves her at night and goes wandering the streets you know, in his capacity as a spy. And he is dismayed to find that she, in fact, wakes up in the middle of the night noticing his absence, and she also walks the streets. Well, what he thinks at the time is that she's looking for him. You know, she's thinking like he's, like, probably frequenting the brothels or the, you know, the the night spots. But this is not what he's doing. He's spying on us humans, and she is following him. That's what he's thinking. But that is, in fact, not the case. We'll find out the, the truth later, right, Misty? Yes. Um, but she's very insulted by this, or at least that's what, what, what she seems to be. And she scolds him when he returns, or when they wake up in the morning together. She says, I'll have no man of mine wandering nights, <laughs> which could mean so many things. <laughs> you know, oh, he's wandering nights. And... Um, then yeah, she keeps it. She keeps a tight household. Oh yeah, she's not letting anybody fall out of line. No, there's no slack in that leash. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, they return home to the farm after who knows how long in the city. Uh, many nights passed where he, you know, left her and she, you know, sort of followed him, looking for him. But when they return, he he decides to this. He's had enough. He's going to kill her. And once they get into the living room of the farmhouse. He reveals himself to her. He says, okay, lady, this is it. I'm going to kill you now, but before I do, I'm going to show you who I really am. And he morphs into his true form, which is this frog-like, red frog, right? Alien-like lizard thing, amphibian thing, amphibious thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Wearing a, a bodysuit, obviously a spacesuit. 
<laughs> yeah, they don't want to show us the frog butt, no. so they they put him in a nice, nice uh, skin tight blue suit. Exactly, and uh, he squats like a frog. He's hankering down, you know, on, on all fours like a little frog preparing to leap. And in fact, he is preparing to leap and strangle her. Because what happened while they were in the city, he in fact murdered a guy. You remember that, Misty? He he got dressed yeah. by a bystander and he grabbed the guy by the throat. And possibly with his alien strength, he snapped the guy's neck. <laughs> yeah, that was like within minutes of them arriving in the city for their honeymoon. He yeah. just immediately killed a guy. <laughs> So, yeah, basically they were Bonnie and Clyde on their honeymoon for the duration of their stay in the city. They were, they had to hide. <laughs> and they that's probably why they only left yeah. to, at night. But, yeah, damn. So he's yeah. going to do the same to her now. But then we get the, the twist, the, you know, predictable twist ending, but not really predictable because I didn't expect this. I knew there was a twist coming, but I didn't see this mm -hmm. one coming, Misty. She pulls out from her little handbag a ray gun and trains it on him and then blasts him to kingdom come, but not before she tells him that she, in fact, is also an alien from the yeah. very same race. Yeah. But she's from the enemy. The opposition had the same idea. They're also looking for a new place to call home. Yeah. It's like uh, star-crossed lovers, but more like star-crossed star enemies. Star-crossed enemies who became lovers but then you know turned on each other again so wow the irony of this is just out the roof you know because it's awesome yeah it's great because then she she tells him what's up uh you know the opposition had the same idea as as his faction and she blasts him to kingdom come and then there's another twist at the very end which is sort of ironic as well because she has the same idea he had when he killed walt donald the, the original farmer she hefts him over her shoulder and carries him to the barn, intent upon burying him beneath the, you know, uh, the ground of the barn. And then when she opens the barn door, what does she see, Misty? A surprise party. Planned by the folks of the town. These wonderful neighbors, they've welcome back a surprise party for these newlyweds. And then <laughs> they're greeted. Oh, man, it's a brilliantly illustrated panel by Grell where... You know, she's standing in the doorway with this alien, this dead alien frog draped over her shoulders. Yeah, and right on. The guests are just slack-jawed. Well, slack-jawed yokels. <laughs> but they're like, oh, <laughs> they're gaping at the side. Oh, man. And then Who you, knows what I, they did to her? Oh, I Who wonder. knows? Maybe. Who knows? I mean, what would you even say? Uh, you know, you get caught by your whole community trying to bury an alien in your barn. Like, what do you even say? Like, oh, this is just a movie prop that I uh, was uh, disposing of for a friend. <laughs> so, oh, this was ooh, my wedding gift. I don't know. I don't get out of that one. <laughs> oh, man. She probably have to. You know what? If it was me, I would turn into an alien and just ray gun all of them. Unfortunately, I'd probably just be like. I'm sorry you all know too much. <laughs> yeah, because her cover, well, her cover might not be blown, but the fact that there's aliens on Earth, that will definitely be known. So she kind of has to take them all out. I, I would like mm -hmm. to see what, what, what would happen. But, you know, another alternative would just be her saying, oh, you know, I found, I, you know, um, Walt was an alien. I killed him. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, please <laughs> don't let the authorities know. That's probably not a good Oh, my gosh, though. yeah. She could totally uh, pull a... Karen, <laughs> Karen. 
and get full of Karen and be like, oh, this alien is trying to murder me. <laughs> this alien's trying to stop me from walking my dog in the park. And letting but him... then, like, I do kind of love how she has it thrown over her shoulder. Like, you see at the yes. panels where she's picking him up and throwing him over her shoulder. Like, a, you know, strong. She's strength. Badass. So that's kind of neat. It's yeah. awesome. And don't you just love death? I mean, he's dressed in the obligatory space suit, uh, this being a space war type story. And he's standing there oh, with yeah. a rake and a ray gun of his own, draped cowboy style around his waist. And he's saying, that was when Bridget stopped smiling. <laughs> <laughs> he does say yeah, what he's happened so there. Fashionable. Oh, even I think even his um his little top is like a crop top and it has almost like a fringe on the bottom. Yeah. I, I he really knows how to dress for the occasion. Yeah, it's made of space fibers. You know, this thing's shiny as hell. It, it's mm -hmm. sort of like a disco uniform too, a little bit. But he's got a tiara, <laughs> tiara with this space motif on it. Oh, death is yeah. He's wearing fashion. like a eighty, like a headband, almost like an '80s sweatband yeah. around his head. There's oh. something very flash dance about his oh, outfit. Definitely. Flash dance. That's what I was going for. Yeah. True. <laughs> I mean, but but that's sort of the effect is sort of killed by him standing there with this rake <laughs> made for shuffling hay, you know. Um, and he's just you know got his little arm on it, saying like, "Okay, that's it. This is our tale, folks. A tale of farming, and 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 aliens and space horror." But also the the ultimate form of irony. <laughs> that was a that's a, just such a good story. It I was a really it. good story. It was a good story. That's why even though Chaikin's uh, story was good, the one about the fighter pilots, this one you know takes the cake for me. But the first one still just because of the vampire maiden, I'm gonna go with that one as my favorite. Misty was this one your favorite though? It sounded as if it might be. Yeah, I think this one was my favorite. It just had so many interesting things happening that I ended up writing the most about it. Yeah. Um, I want you to speak on it because you, you dropped some hints that you did some research into some strange avenues <laughs> when you came to the story. Yeah. Well, because in the beginning, Bridget shows up saying that she answered an advertisement for a wife. And and so I looked into that some more because that piqued my curiosity as far as the popularity of advertising for a wife and the whole sort of mail order bride thing. And if that's still a thing that even happens, um, if you can, if you can put out a classified ad to somebody in Ireland and find a wife that way. So I looked into it. And I know. Don't well, keep us in suspense. <laughs> okay. So well, let's just scroll down bit on my paper here uh yeah so some facts about mail order brides the mail order bride industry is still around um the term mail order bride originated on the american frontier in the 19th century mm. at that time the number of men on the frontier far outnumbered the number of available women and lonely farmers and ranchers would seek wives from back east by placing ads in newspapers and magazines. Jeez. So, yeah, they feel like that's kind of where the inspiration for this story came from. Wow. It must be, because I, I mean, yeah. I never knew this, but it makes sense now upon hearing it. 
Yeah. It's a war thing. Yeah. It's a wartime thing. This mail order bride thing started with war. And uh, this is a war story. Yeah. <laughs> Farmers on the American frontier. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so back then it was probably maybe a little less Frequent? like human trafficky oh, yeah. as it is oh, okay. these days. Yeah, these days. You know, well, like maybe like... back then. It's oh, more... sorry. What did you say? No, no, no. I wanted to say you're right. These days it's taken on a sinister connotation right the mail order bride system and also because you know so many people who be who are mail order brides are from countries where the, where there's war or there's some terrible thing happening there and they want to escape you know so i mm -hmm. mean I, i'm not an american misty but doesn't the the president have a, had a mail order bride or <laughs> currently well i mean I, I don't know what's her name starts with an m i'm not sure <laughs> how did he get her melangia melange Melania, melanoma, melanoma Trump, I believe that's <laughs> her name, melanoma Trump. Trump. Well, good old yeah. Mel, as we'll call her, I mean, I don't know, because, you know, folks, I'm not from the States, I just, I was wondering about that, you know, I just uh, heard a rumor, <laughs> we should probably well, shouldn't spread this fake news, I apologize, listeners, we're not, <laughs> this is, an, yes, this is unsubstantiated, I, I don't, in fact, know if she's a mail order, um, but in fact, the mail order is almost a term that is used to gloss over that, that, that it's actually a form of human trafficking like it makes it sound way more innocent than it is but what i learned when i was researching looking more into this is that it is actually a form of human trafficking really <laughs> so, well yeah and you know uh, listeners feel free to push back on this if you want i don't know what i'm inviting here but um what i what i read it did seem like it's uh yeah it's men who are in unfortunate circumstances being sort of brokered through third-party businesses yeah. and corporations mm -hmm. that yeah. make tens of thousands of dollars brokering them to mm -hmm. uh husbands and other places in the world and i'm mm -hmm. sure that there are instances where it, it's fine and it works out but it, it is a form of human trafficking <laughs> that's true i mean often without Technically. <laughs> yeah true i mean what i've heard uh you know about is that you know these organizations uh, and that most of them seem to be based in either asia or eastern europe or or at least that's where they get the the the, the people from they don't vet whoever is ordering the bride properly so you know they're sent to they, they don't have a choice in who they actually want to marry. So it is like human trafficking, right? Uh, that is an excellent point. And to expand on that a little bit further, the prevalence of abuse against mail-order brides prompted the United States Congress to pass a Federal International Marriage Broker Regulation Act in 2005, which requires all marriage visa sponsors to undergo background checks. And it puts a limit on serial visa applications. Mm. Um, so that's really good. But that didn't happen until 2005. So wow. before that, if you were just like a total psychopath, you could order yourself a woman <laughs> from overseas. Jeez. And no, like, they didn't do a background check on you. So they're, they wouldn't, you wouldn't 
you know, she wouldn't yeah. know what she was showing up to. Yeah. Oh god. Which is horrible. really scary. That's, That's so really horrible. scary. Now you have these women in de in dire straits already. They're desperate. You know, they they just they have to leave, and then they come, you know, and they um, come go to a country that they think will be you know they're saving grace and then it turns out that they're stepping into something even more horrible yes um oh. like your husband is an alien basically <laughs> who secretly wants to kill you <laughs> i mean that's probably a best case scenario maybe <laughs> well, damn, way more worst cases than this yeah you'd, you'd be lucky to just be blasted by a ray gun or strangled right. by frog-like fingers this is far worse things that could happen. I don't even want right. to contemplate that. But yeah, this is a good point, Missy. I didn't think about it like that at all. I mean, when you did the post on Twitter about, you know, uh, this lady, I was thinking, wait a minute. Yeah, the mail order bride system. This is totally how we got her. And, uh, you know, obviously there there are a lot of flaws in that system, you know, pertaining there to are. horror. <laughs> it's horror. If you think about it, you can make a horror movie of mail order brides suffering or, or, or in turn yeah. imposing suffering on their tormentors why hasn't that been done <laughs> it's you horror. definitely could you definitely could make a horror movie out of it and but you know what in uh 2016 nbc went the total opposite way and actually announced that it put into development a new half hour comedy sitcom called mail order family Whoa. featuring Whoa. the premise that a lonely American widower buys a Filipina mail-order bride to raise his preteen daughters. And that is the premise of the comedy that they proposed <laughs> in 2016. Holy 2016, crap. yeah. I can't believe it. What? What? <laughs> I know. Like Damn. a comedy of human trafficking. That like They're like, sick. oh, this is... But it, it kind of speaks to just kind of the the lighthearted way that the term the mm. the term mail order bride it really does gloss over the darkness that is inherent in in that industry. Mm. You know, people, mm. I don't mm. because when I read when I read that story, Bridget O'Halloran shows up. She answers the classified ad, and it really got me thinking about mail order brides and how little I really knew about them and how it was just kind of this funny concept of like, oh, you just it's like a dating service and you order you order somebody from yeah. overseas and you meet them um and yeah. you write to them mm. uh so there's there's definitely like legit ways to meet people who live in other countries and you develop relationships with them and all that there's legit and healthy ways to do that um but it got me really thinking about it, so I, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. No, <laughs> and, so no, but... and I'm glad I did, because now I know a lot more about Me about too, it. no. I'm glad you did that, because, you know, in Asia, that is a kind of a concern. You know, lots of, um, uh, more of the, the Southeast Asian countries, you know, the ladies sign up for that. Because, you know, they, they want to yeah. improve their general quality of life, and it might not be an improvement, like you said, but... Maybe this act that was passed makes it a little bit safer for them, but probably not completely because there are still other countries that they're being shipped to where there's not any protection pertaining to women. You know, so it's still happening and it's, it is horror, Misty. So it's very mm -hmm. apt that you brought this up. And this made yep. me think about this as well. This is something that me as a guy, I would have glossed over that. I'm like, oh, okay, she showed up. They were corresponding. No, she answered a classified ad. I completely forgot about that until you... Yeah. But yeah, you drew my attention to it. So and and he was a farmer. He was a farmer in America. So mm. 
this maybe does really just harken back to that time of American farmers who needed a wife. They're just like, oh, I got all this land that I stole from genocided Native Americans, and now I need a woman to make me breakfast in the morning. Uh. So. Par for, the you course, know. par for the course of being a farmer. And, par you know, for the course. I mean, why not, on top of genocide, add a little human trafficking? You know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love <laughs> it, Misty. Love it. Okay, USA. You, oh, well, <laughs> I was going to chant USA, but, you know, I am i don't have any, any, any inclination to do so and no right to do so. I was just... It shows you how we've been brainwashed by movies and stuff. Once you hear someone start chanting USA, you immediately want to chime in. No. I only chant it ironically these days. I only know. ironically. Yes. I, I, I blame Rocky for <laughs> I wish I could chant it not ironically. I wish. <laughs> That's true. I will chant it not ironic. I'll give a non-ironic USA chant to the lovely people in this country who do good things and are good people. Wow. Well, there you go. I would yeah. do the same. I mean, if I was, you know, <laughs> if I had any impetus to do so, I would. No, I mean, I'm a lot of the stuff I love come from the States. So I've got a lot of love for the States. A lot of my friends live there. You being one of them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, you know, there's lots of stuff I love from the States. And that's why I, I like to keep things on Twitter, you know, a bit a little bit, you know, championing the the, the, the stuff we love. Right, Misty? Like comics that yeah. and came out of that, movies that I loved it. And, and hopefully by people who champion the same moral values that we do. And there are a lot of them. So, you know, I'm, I've got a lot of fondness for the States. I'm not going to say I, I'm hating on it. It's just that, you know, at the moment, people are in control that I definitely don't agree with. So politically speaking, the politics that are, you know, prevalent now, obviously, I don't agree with them. But, you know, I'm still a big fan of certain aspects of the culture. You know, yeah. so, I mean, my favorite writers of all time came from the States, not from Britain. In fact, um, even though there's a lot of, lot of them I love, the, the, you know, just my favorite artists, my favorite writers, my favorite music. So you know, I'm always going to have a fondness for the States, you know, and this, this yeah. being from a foreign perspective. So, yeah, I mean, you guys, well, yeah. You could see why a, a tyrant would want to take this place over because it's, you know, it's yeah. got a lot to offer. Exactly, exactly. And that's probably why, exactly why uh, Mm -hmm. he's trying to take it over, because he wants to Mm -hmm. make it his and his alone. So, yeah, it's his greed. It's greed. But, you know, I'm greedy for more comic talk. (laughs) I mean, this issue was great, Misty. I don't don't know um, how much you would rank this. Uh, I would go first. This one, I'm going to give the uh, uh, bloody swastika. Since, you know, most of the swastikas oh, carried around the necks of the Nazis in the first story were bloodied by the rampant gushing of their severed jugular veins, courtesy of Yvette. So, bloody swastikas. How many bloody swastikas out of five would you give this tale, <laughs> this this entire issue? Ooh, um, I gave this a four out of five. Oh. Bloody swastika. I'm Bloody swastika. Exactly on the same page as you. Four out of five. I'm right there yeah. with you. That's my score too. And my favorite yeah. uh, story we've discussed was the first one. Yours is the third one. But all of the three tales were especially great. I don't know if you have any favorite panels that you quickly want to highlight. Um, I have the panel in the Alien Among Us. The first panel where we see Death dressed in his cool space farmer outfit. Oh, that's a- Brilliant panel. Oh, I love it. I love that panel. I was like, 
already I was just automatically a fan of this story when I saw that panel because you could tell it would, was going to be sci-fi elements um and just like a this the combination of a skeleton like horror and sci-fi together that's exciting that, that was exciting I love that panel that is pretty damn cool that's pretty good okay my I have a favorite page and then I have a favorite panel my favorite page is where um, Yvette, uh, I think it's page five, where she, the, it's basically the entire story in one in one um, page. The Nazis are are about to, you know, you know, uh, what what would you call it? Like soil her, and then you know the rest <laughs> of them are exploring the house, and this guy, is <laughs> this great, this horrible line. He's like, search the house. This is from that Hendrik guy. I will question the Fraulein, and he says, first question, Fraulein. How long has it been since your lips have touched those of a real man? <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's so gross. And then he immediately gets his comeuppance by, she's saying, too long. And then she slams her mouth into his neck and just tears them apart. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this great little panel where she morphs into this half-bat, half-human-like creature. And she's got like this porcupine-like hairstyle. And she grabs these yeah. two Nazis like little kids. She's like a kindergarten teacher grabbing these two little three-year-olds by the necks. And she she tears them apart. And then the very last panel on that page, Misty, is this panel where, you know, her silhouette and the, the victim that she's chomping on at that point in time is dark. And then the, she, there's just bodies strewn all around her. And and there's this bloody background, almost like they're, they're flying into this bloody sunset. And she's just flying and sucking this guy's, you know, sucking this guy dry at the same time. Oh, I love that yeah. panel so much. But then the rest of the comic has lots of great panels too. One of them uh, being a honorable mention, the the plane in the Howard Chaykin story, The Lost Ace, descending towards the waves after it's been shot down. And with the sound effect. <laughs> that was a that was one of my favorite panels too. Oh, that's such a good panel. Love it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautifully drawn. Beautiful effects. And also you felt the, the you know, the danger, the fear, the, the imminent death approaching. And then the last story that you mentioned, I had so many favorite panels, but I'm just going to get a quick few honorable mentions. I love the panel where the reveal is, ha you know, is happening, where, um, you know, he's revealing himself, but then her panel where she changes into an alien too. It's just so great. You know, she pulls this ray gun. It's actually a sequence of three panels. She pulls this ray gun from her purse. And then as she does so, there's a transition panel where she's half human, half frog alien. I just love the effect of that panel. Isn't it cool where she's like, yeah. then starting to squat slowly towards the ground. It's so horrific and so ominous. Those, those three panels in succession are a great panel sequence. But in terms of- I love the- I loved the transformation illustrations in that story. The the first one where it's like the stacked uh, mm. three panels where in the first panel you see his face, second panel, his face merged a little bit more with the frog, third face, third panel, full frog face. Uh, there's like <laughs> so many good transformational panels. Panel, pan yeah. Panels, yeah, in this, in this oh, story. It's brilliant. it's brilliant. The last one where she drags away his body and then at the same time as she drags his body she changes back into the, her human form. It's just amazing. You know, she just looks so scary. That, like it reminds that must me have been like, hard to decide. Yeah. Like the artist must have had to think real hard, like 
what is between a frog and a woman? <laughs> like, what features? How do I draw a half frog, half woman? Yeah. And, and they nailed it. They did a really great job. I'm just going to, I mean, I'm not Mike Grell, but I'm just going to say when you're at his level of talent, this is probably easy to do. I don't know. This is what I'm thinking. <laughs> it might not be. It might be he works so damn hard on these panels, but I'm thinking this guy is such a natural. But yeah, I mean, this reminded me a lot of V. You know, the 1980s sci-fi TV show V? I don't know if you ever saw that, but mm-hmm. it, it I was seen it. Yeah, it's about these lizard aliens who sort of came to Earth, but they didn't violently take over Earth. They sort of like sort of co-opted the governments first with I mean, at first there were, were a few skirmishes, but you know, the story starts in media's res where, you know, the governments have already been taken over and they're supporting the regime of these aliens who look human, but they're lizard like, you know, underneath their human sort of like uh, skin grafts, which they carry, you know, which they they, they have. It, it's a lot like V, but this was done way before V. So obviously uh, Mike Rell didn't get this and Jack Oleg, they didn't get this from that at all. This is totally original. This is probably more inspired by stuff like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or numerous other 1950s sci-fi, uh, you know, stories. So Misty, great issue. I loved it. I'm I'm so happy you forced me to pick it. <laughs> <laughs> because you set the bar pretty high. I mean, you picked number 82, which is a tough competitor. And then I had to find another issue of Weird War. So I did like some frantic re- reading of my <laughs> Weird War Tales comics that I have. But I'm, I'm glad. This is a good one. You yeah, found a good one. This is really it. good. And I like that you, you picked one where you found one that had a, a woman in a story. So I, I really appreciate that. Well, actually, there are quite a few. I, I happened upon more than a dozen. Oh, no, way more than a dozen. I, I think there's at least 18 issues that I that was in the running. Do you remember? It took me like weeks to to, to, mm-hmm. to to decide because there's so many with actually women protagonists. And so actually, awesome. no, yeah, Weird War Tales does have a lot of stories featuring female characters. We'll talk about more of them in the future, listeners. So... Yeah, look, look. That's for, really good. Mm, look out for that. The swamp, more than merely a place. It is a churning, seething, bubbling bed of life of which you are a part. Once you were a man, a chemist named Ted Salas, until one little experiment went somewhat awry. And you changed. The serum that was to have made you a super soldier combined with the strange forces in the swamp to make you over into this, a shambling, mindless mockery of your former humanity. The macabre Man-Thing. Man-Thing was created in the early 1970s to capitalize on the growing monster craze, but under writer Steve Gerber it became something quite different. Experimental, surreal, and very, very weird. It was something I loved as a kid, but does it still hold up today, four decades after its initial publication? So join me, Paul Matthew Carr, as I attempt to make sense of this cult classic and analyze each issue, putting it in the context of the time it was written and comparing it to the standards of today. And maybe you too can come to love the world's second most famous swamp-based comic book character as much as I do. The Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast, a twice-monthly dive into the bizarre. Okay, we're back, listeners, with Misty's Funny Bone. This is a segment where we try to escape the horrors of war a little by uh, introducing the horrors of humor. <laughs> <laughs> the horrors of bad jokes. Oh, why not? Bad jokes are the best. Come on. <laughs> At least it's the kind of jokes that I normally can get. <laughs> 
you gotta have some serious knowledge of American culture to 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 sometimes get American jokes. But you know, I've got like 30, 35 years of The Simpsons behind me, so I, I'm pretty probably good to go. So, Misty, what have you got for us this week for your funny bone segment? Take it away. Well, I found just a couple quotes about war that were slightly funny. It's sort of hard to find jokes about war, you know? Like, uh, I, I probably could look a little bit deeper. And listeners, please send in your funniest jokes about war. No, we <laughs> haven't gotten any jokes yet. Come on, listeners. Come on, listeners. Send us horrifying jokes. Horror, jo- horror jokes. Yeah. Scary jokes. Jokes about dying. Oh, yeah. That's what I want to hear. Death okay, can be so... funny. It can be funny. It's horrific, but it can be funny yeah. if told right. So don't be scared. Don't feel that you're jinxing yourself or, or inviting supernatural disaster on us. We're not superstitious over here. <laughs> Just come on, regale us with your, your wit. And we'll be glad to feature that on the show and give you some shout outs and yeah. promote your material too. Who knows? It'll be like a regular stand up routine uh, that you could send yeah. us too. We'll, we'll gladly play that. If we pick your joke, we'll totally shout you out and say your Twitter screen name uh, live on air. <laughs> or maybe not live, pre-recorded on air. <laughs> Ooh, we still got to do a live recording sometime. So, hey, who Yeah, knows? maybe sometime. Yeah. Um, so, it was. A, it, I didn't find any jokes about war. Some of the ones that I came across... I didn't even click on because I was like, mm, those seem offensive. Like, I didn't want to make fun mm. of anybody's... Because, you know, like, uh, soldiers will make jokes about the people that they're, like, actively murdering. Yeah, so I'm not about to poke fun at anybody who's being, like, murdered in a war. You know? Like, that yeah. doesn't seem right. So what I did find is just a couple quotes about war that I thought I would share that... Uh, might resonate with some people. Awesome. With some, hopefully. Yeah. So, first quote: "You can no more win a war than you can win an earthquake." And that <laughs> it affects everybody. Everybody negatively. Yeah. There's no winners. Yeah. Right? That's what it means. Yeah. And that's very true. Who? Who? Do you know who? Who? Uh, quoted that quote. <laughs> yeah, you quoted the that, quote, but I mean, I quoted that quote that was originally quoted by Jeanette Rankin, who is the first woman member of the United States House of Representatives. Well, well, well. It's it's apt that it's a woman because normally they're the ones who see war from a different perspective. You know, um, they don't see it as black and white winners and losers, right? Most of the time, because they're the ones who have to deal with the consequences. The you know, the loss of family, the the maimed husband that she has to take care of. Yeah. yeah. Got a unique perspective on war. So well done, Jeanette. Is that her name? Well, I think Jeanette Rankin. Rankin. And, you know, I think with the... Uh, I think with the level of perhaps indoctrination that it takes to bring a soldier to the point where they're willing to kill for their country or willing to just kill for what they believe in... Um, that does take perhaps some amount of black and white thinking. Um, so a woman who women who have not typically been sent to boot camps or indoctrinated super hard into military culture perhaps do have a more nuanced perspective mm, on it. Yeah, perhaps. 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 That's just like a theory, you know. 
Well, I can. Uh, but not saying that there aren't women soldiers because there's totally a, a lot of women in, in the military. Yeah. And, yeah. No, no, yeah. of course. That this is like we're talking way back when. Obviously, when she was in the House of Representatives, there weren't any women soldiers. There were women involved in war, but obviously they weren't as brainwashed or as indoctrinated as the men at the time. So, yeah, no, 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 it's very, um, you know, topical if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. So, Misty, nice one. Do you have uh, any others? I have another one. Uh, this quote is by Will Rogers. He says, you can't say that civilization don't advance however for in every war they kill you in a new way oh this is true we're so good at finding <laughs> new and horrific ways to kill each other i mean death himself in the weird war tales comic has said this many times humans are so good at keeping him entertained with all the new and you know twisted ways they can find to destroy each other right? yep. oh, yeah yeah so yeah and then the is it an issue that we discussed where he, he laments war having gone from cavemen beating each other with clubs to like nuclear or arsenals and oh that's a, that's going to be an issue 82 which is going to drop on our next uh, part two of this weird mm -hmm. war yeah that's an issue 82 okay. the very first page yeah awesome okay well and that's what i have for you for now oh, it's brilliant i mean there's going to be more coming next time listeners because like we said this is a two-parter so misty's going to have some more uh quotes and jokes for us uh, in the funny bone segment relating pro possibly to war but also not you know i mean we're doing a horror show we don't always have to focus on the the first segment that we're talking about right misty but uh, war itself is pretty horrific so there's lots of quotes and stuff that are very very eye-opening and i think we should all take note of them so, uh, listeners, we encourage you to do your own research. And then when you find some gold nuggets, send it our way so that we can play it on the show and we'll give you all the credit. But yes. Misty, brilliant. Thanks for that bit. I'm, you've given me lots to think about. Uh, but what I'm thinking about right now is our final segment called Pleasant Screams. And um, before we do say goodbye, I'll let Misty... Uh, leave you some of her uh, credentials or contact details, <laughs> which would be mostly Twitter, right, Misty? That's where people can interact with us. Um, yes. Yeah, we don't have a Facebook group. We we do have an Instagram. I should work more on that Instagram. I will, I promise. But you can also find us on our website, which is www.longboxofdarkness.com. Uh, so, Misty, where can they reach you on Twitter? You can find me at on Twitter at Misty G Comics. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's it. That's all you need. And DMs are welcome, right, Misty? If it's show-related stuff. Um, yeah, you can DM me. DM me jokes, horror jokes. Um, just yeah, my DMs are open. Um, you know what to do. Don't don't be a jerk or yeah. lewd or whatnot. Just yeah, yeah, if you want to chat about horror comics, yeah. DM me. I'll uh, be nice. Usually, I'm not, I'm pretty nice. I'll, you know, but I do have limited time. Uh, you know, but I, I don't know. We'll Just see, how uh, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on how interesting the DM is. <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. I'm a I'm a horror host. I have things to do. I have graves to dig. Oh. So. Yeah. <laughs> Misty Graves, as long as Keep you won't it. put my alien Fitness. body in one of those graves, Misty, then I'm fine with you digging all the graves you want. Just don't 
don't shape change into an alien and and try to to you know slither me into one of those graves anytime soon then i'm happy with you well, taking up the time just don't lay a uh, claim to earth because i already have laid claim to earth so Ooh, as long as we understand have an understanding that earth is mine <laughs> and my you know well, just, my home planet belongs to my home planet just leave my well you can have earth just leave my monopoly of intergalactic mail order brides uh, the, that that system just leave it to me and you know as as long as i can have my cut of that <laughs> oh i I'll, I'll order you a triflorkian mail for your next bride to be misty they're Ooh. pretty pretty virile <laughs> you know if you could place classified ads for spouses from other planets i might reconsider my views on mail order brides <laughs> hey, one of my biggest customers is captain kirk you know so <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> or captain Riker, or not captain lieutenant mm, Riker. lieutenant Riker. he likes he likes his romulans he's half breed romulans he's, he's only on to them for a while so you know I'll, I'll try to get him off of those get some more you know uh, business from him yeah but he's he's more of a doe-eyed kind of customer i like captain kirk more he runs through them pretty quick so he's a repeat customer. <laughs> this is a horrible thing to be talking about. Captain Kirk. Yeah. You dirty dog. To you, Captain Mr. Schachner. <laughs> he's dirty. He's dirty, man. Listen, listeners, please send us feedback. We would love to hear from you. You can do so at darklongbox at gmail.com. And you can also follow our main account, which is at darklongbox. I'm sort of using that account as my personal account, too. So... Any, you know, tweets that I might post that does not reflect the views of Misty or the Dongbox of Darkness, I apologize for them. But, you know, it's kind of like me. That's my, my you know, Twitter handle. So I'm sort of... Actually, we should get our own, right, Misty? <laughs> Which is only about show-related content. But, you know, you can also DM me and send me any show-related stuff. But also, if you're a friend and you want to DM me for any other reason, you can do so too. I don't mind. And then that's where yeah. you can find us online. Yeah. So, Misty, with that, yeah. we're heading up back into the night, back into the darkness. Um, Misty, I'm going to let you give our send-off. I'm just going to not say pleasant screams again since I already used that as the show segment name. But say goodbye to the listeners for us in a in an appropriate fashion, befitting a horror host, won't you? Oh, um, What's a good one? Let's see. What's a good horror host send-off? I used one. <laughs> we've, we've used um, Keep It Creepy. If you used... keep it creepy, that's a good one. Maybe I'll just use that one. Yeah, why not? Let go for the classics. Stick to the classics. <laughs> yeah. Keep it creepy. Keep it. Mm. Keep it creepy. And don't be a jerk. <laughs> Ordering mail order cre- brides. <laughs> yeah, keep it creepy. Keep it classy. Do not order mail order brides. And um, uh, cost- watch out for ghost planes. Oh, watch out for ghost planes. Don't enter french farmhouses with the intent of of um you know um pillaging and 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 messing up the place be wary of women wearing long white gowns tattered and you know of the fanged persuasion but treat them treat them respectfully and maybe they'll let you be immortal and stay by their side until the end of eternity yeah don't be lecherous oh yeah no, don't no. be lecherous don't be a Nazi, and you basically. live. 
Yeah. Also, don't be a Nazi. Yeah, definitely don't do that. Be a fascist, and uh, then we'll be good. Good to go for another episode of The Long Box of Darkness. So take it easy, listeners. That's Herman and Misty saying goodnight. Pleasant screams. Bye-bye. Bye.